0: Uh, we've been in this series called Hijack for the last few weeks. Today is actually the last day we're wrapping it up, and we've been talking about some things uh, that uh, kind of rob us of our relationship with God. I mean, not that we're ever torn away from God; He always loves us, He always wants perfect relationship. But sometimes there's these things that come into our lives that we put in that can kind of mess that up a little bit, and so we don't live our best life. I, mean, I some of you probably don't realize this, but Jesus, God wants a relationship with you. He wants to be near you. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to feel his presence, and he wants to save you for eternity, but he also wants you to live some life now. Like, he wants it to be good. He, he wants he wants you to experience freedom and experience joy and experience peace while you're on earth. It's not just about the other side. It's about here too, and so we've been talking about some of these things that can kind of rob us of, of our best life that God wants. Today, I want to talk Finish it up by talking about uh, comparison, and I'll, I'll set it up like this. Uh, last year, my wife and I, we tried to go to an Atlanta Braves game. I'm a big Atlanta Braves fan. Rough week for that. Thank you, Gamecocks, for redeeming my week. But I'm a big Atlanta Braves fan, and so last year, last year we went uh, to a Braves game, and in case you, in case you don't know, every, not every home game, but a lot of big home games, the Braves do this thing between the sixth and the seventh inning called beat the freeze. Anybody heard of this? And basically, it's an on-field competition. And so they have this guy who was an Olympic sprinter, and he wears this costume. It's like a leotard kind of thing. And uh, it's, it's all blue. That's why they call it Freeze. It's sponsored by somebody. And, uh, but between the sixth and the seventh inning, they select a fan to go on the field. And you start at one foul pole. And you get a head start, and based on kind of where you are, then they release the freeze to go. And his job is to try to catch up to you, pass you, and beat you to the other foul line. Make sense? And so we walk in uh, the stadium this day, and the promotional lady comes up to me, and she says, hey, sir, would you like to be a part of an on-field competition? Being a Braves fan, I knew where she was headed. I said, no. She said, well, you fit the profile. My first response wanted to be, well, profiling's not nice. But anyway... And uh, so I started thinking about it. I told her, I said, I haven't ran in a couple of weeks. I do run, but I haven't ran in a couple of weeks. I've been having knee trouble. And so I, I think I'll sit it out. The more I thought about it, the more I started thinking, what are the chances? Like, I, I get to go on the field. Uh, it's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. I mean, it's like one in 40,000 people, and, and I got chosen. So I agreed. They said, well, meet us, meet us on the, at this certain spot uh, between the top and the bottom of the 6th. Of the and so I, I got there. Of course, I was nervous the entire time. I had a plan because they don't necessarily time your head start. They base it off of your pace. And so my thinking is if I start out like 75% and they think I am that slow, they will wait longer to let the freeze go. That way I have more of a head start, okay? So I've, I've thought about this. So sure enough, uh, we, we get on the field the dude, the dude that, that is the freeze is like praying before we go into the field. I looked at the promotional lady, I'm like, I'm a pastor, I haven't even thought of that. He's definitely gonna win. <laughs> and so we, we, we get on the field, they, they introduce me and they count down three, two, one and I take off like 75, 80% and I get around to about left center field when I hear the crowd roar, they're not cheering for me, they're cheering for the freeze. And seriously, as I'm running, like, I see this blue streak coming. And I, I can see it getting faster out of my peripheral. And sure enough, it's like, like a car on the highway passing me, like I'm backing up. And so, what do I do? My man pride gets a hold of me. And so, I'm at 80%. Well, now, you know, I'm, I'm sprinting. I'm in a dead sprint until I hit center field and it pops. Or I felt a pop. Pulled my hamstring. My knee is still messed up. And I think it's from this day. And so, of course, I don't want to give it up, so I continue to try to run. If you, there's a video, if you watch the video, you can tell me going, <laughs> where, 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 where it catches. I get heckled by the Braves bullpen, and they're shouting things at me like, why, do you, why did you quit? Why did you give up? You stink, you know, that kind of stuff. Do you know what, do you know what that, that taught me? Is there some races I'm not meant to run? And the reason I tell that story it's because I think that's what comparison does to us. It puts us in a race with someone else, with something else that we were never meant to run. This guy is an Olympic sprinter. I am five feet 11 on a good day. And when I could run my fastest, ran a mile in seven and a half minutes. I am not meant to run that race. But that's what comparison does. Ultimately, comparison doesn't make us healthier. It doesn't make us feel better, but it does the exact opposite, doesn't it? And, and here's, here's what I mean. When you begin to compare yourself to other people, and this is why I think this is a really big, big, big idea and a huge issue in today's society, because when I begin to size myself up based off of the race someone else is running, I do one of two things. Number one, I find someone who I can be slightly better at in my eyes. And what it does is it gives me like this false sense of identity and security, but it also makes me devalue them. On the other side, what happens a lot of times is I begin to try to compare myself with the people around me. I find someone who is better at it than I am from my view, and it not only makes me feel devalued, puts me in a funk, but it also makes me become bitter at them, doesn't it? And so what, what I have done is I have, I have deflected, I have reflected something on them that they didn't even know that I was doing. And so what happens? Division happens, isolation happens, and it all comes when I begin to try to compare myself to other people. Some of you probably felt pretty good until you walked in here this morning and you saw what somebody else was wearing. You saw they lost a couple of pounds. You saw what they were driving. And, 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 and this isn't just a certain generation that does this. I think we all whether, whether you, you, you're, you're, you're 80 or, or you're eight, whether you're um, a tough guy, whether you're a lady, whatever it is, I think we all play these comparison games in our mind, whether we realize it or not. And it changes how we view ourselves, but also how we view other people. Comparison is an epidemic in today's society. And think about it we have added filters to our world, social media we never see anything authentic anymore, it's always filtered. It's made to look like it's not, but it's always filtered. I'm afraid that we have begun to play this comparison game in our minds, and in our heads, and in our hearts, and what we've done is we've tried to filter the world around us. And it's killing relationships, it's killing our self-esteem, it's killing our self-confidence, or it's making us prideful, it's making us boastful, And it's making us become someone that we were never called, equipped, and meant to be. This morning, I wanna talk from this subject. There is no comparison. There is no comparison. And the reason I've titled it that is because I think that's one of the keys to understanding this concept, that when God looks at you, When your creator, the one that is good, the one that is always loving, the one that is always creative, the one that is always gracious, the one that is always graceful, the one that is always protecting, protecting of you, when he looks at you, he looks at you and he says, why are you comparing yourself? I created you to be uniquely you. There is no comparison in my eyes. Don't try to be them because I created you to be you and I love you just the way you are, and I've put things in you that they don't have because I've given you a place and a purpose that I haven't given them. Don't compare yourself with other people. God's saying, I created you uniquely to be you. And if there's a truth that we could wrap our minds around this morning, it's this. I run my race at my pace. If you have a phone, type that out. If you have something to write on, Write it down. I run my race at my pace. I think that's a key to understanding this danger of comparison and how we can overcome it. Theodore Roosevelt said that comparison is the thief of all joy. And I think he was right because what it does is it puts our minds in a place to assign value to ourselves and to others, and we were never meant to assign that value. Only a creator gets to decide the value of his creation, and God says, you are worth it and that there is no comparison. So let's take a look, see what scripture says. Second Corinthians 10, just to kinda set this passage up, um, in case you're, you're, you're kinda new to church or, or you don't know much about the Bible. Second Corinthians uh, is a book that a man named Paul, who was a persecutor of Christians, he was killing Christians, Jesus saved his life, Jesus revealed himself to him. He began starting or planting churches all along the Mediterranean Sea. One of those churches that he planted was a church in a city called Corinth. Corinth, scholars would say, was worse than a modern-day Las Vegas when it came to to morals. Um, And when it came to to just pure sinfulness, it was worse than a modern-day Las Vegas. And nowhere did Paul face more opposition than he did did in Corinth. And... Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians, which by the way, 2 Corinthians is, is a letter that Paul wrote in re- back to this church that he planted in Corinth. He couldn't give them a call or send them an email or text them, so he would write them letters. Some scholars say we, Paul wrote up to four letters, that, that within First within and Second Corinthians there's some things that he kind of talks about, hey, I wrote you before, but we don't have it. And so some scholars would say that he wrote up to four letters. We only have two now. But Second Corinthians, Paul is is trying to is is, is opposing some some people that have come along behind him after he's left and planted this church. You see, Paul preached a gospel, a good news that said you don't have to do anything to come to God and be saved through Jesus. All you have to do is surrender your life to him. There's these people called the Judaizers that are coming along behind him trying to discredit him. And what a Judaizer was, was they were someone who said, no, you can't just come to Jesus the way you are. you got to clean up first. What's on the outside matters. Matter of fact, you have to adopt the Jewish way, before you can have a relationship with God. And so Paul writes this portion in chapter 10 in direct opposition to what they're doing. They're sizing Paul up. They begin to attack Paul based on his appearance and begin to kinda compare themselves with with who Paul is. And so Paul writes this in opposition to it. And we'll start in 2 Corinthians 10, verse three. Paul says, we are human. But we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reason and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. There's four questions that I want want to ask you as we look at comparing ourselves with other people and the mind games we play. Number one is, what is your obstacle? What is your obstacle so what paul is getting at here in second corinthians 10 is he's saying there's a very real enemy and i don't think you have to be a christian in this room this morning or a believer in god or, or even spiritual at all to agree that there is good and evil in our world that there are some things that we look at and i believe that's put there by god there's some things that we look at and we can all agree that's not good and so what Paul is making the case for here is he's saying there's, there's good and there's evil. There's God, he's the good, but there's this very, very real enemy called Satan and he's the evil. And what Paul is saying is he's saying Satan has been giving, given some authority by God on the earth, the fall of man, when, God, when man made a wrong choice, the Bible calls Satan the prince of the earth. God's given him some authority. He can do anything God allows him to do. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying, Satan is setting up some strongholds. His attack is on your mind. He's saying there is an obstacle, and that obstacle starts in the mind. Our mind is the devil's playground. And some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about because the thoughts that you have a lot of the times, you know they're not from God, but you can't get them out of your head. Like you know they're not good and they don't line up with the things that you know are good. Even if you're not a believer this morning, you know there's some thoughts in your head and they're not good, they're not right, but you can't get them out of your head. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying we, we tear down these, these strongholds. And these strongholds were, were were walls, fortified walls that were built around cities and they were built for protection from opposing armies, but also once opposing armies got inside, the stronghold could be so that the army could de- just demolish you and you couldn't get out to freedom. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying Satan is attacking your mind. He's setting up these strongholds in your mind, and he's, he, he's got you walking around in this stronghold, and you can't get out because you're believing the lies that Satan has planted there. And one of those biggest lies is when you begin to compare yourself to other people. Some of you this morning, you're, you, have, you have lies and you have strongholds in your mind right now that you have believed since you were a little boy or a little girl. Things like, I'm not good enough. I can't trust them. I can't trust anybody. God doesn't care about me. He hasn't been faithful to me. I'm stupid. I don't have what it takes. I'm a loser. I'm a moron. I've always been told that and it's true. I can't do this. And so what happens, what Paul is saying is what happens is you begin to, to track these thoughts through your mind. You begin to say, They're not, I'm not as good as them. I could never do that. I could never be like them. I can never get that far. I wish I had that. I wish I had this. And we begin to replay these thoughts in our mind. And what Paul is saying is he's saying it's almost like you've built a wall in your mind that you can't get out of. Because it's a wall of, of lies. It's a, it's a stronghold and you can't seem to dig your way out of The wall, Paul is saying, we've got to tear these things down. We've got to get rid of these, these walls. I'm convinced that Satan's biggest attack on us is usually not from someone else or from something on the outside, but it's in our own mind. That when he wants to get you, he's going to start with your mind. See, sometimes we give Satan too much authority in the church, and we think he's like God, that he can be everywhere. He can't be everywhere, but in the spiritual realm, he can plant things in your mind, he can get you to think things he can get you to think lies he can get you to replay those lies over and over in your head and even though, though you know they're wrong there's a stronghold there and you can't seem to get out and so even though you know it's wrong deep down you still believe it Paul's saying we tear down these strongholds these strongholds of of comparison these strongholds of lies that we have in our in our minds because Satan knows that if he can get you to think these lies, if he can get you to compare yourself with them, if he can get you to look at them, if he can get you to start sizing them up, if he can get you to start believing that lie and repeating that lie, you will forget how valuable you really are. And some of you have been repeating those lies for so long, you don't even know who you are anymore. Where do you find yourself? believing lies. Where do you find yourself playing the comparison game? Is it as a mom? Do you begin to compare yourselves to other moms and just like, wow, she's got it together. I got nothing. Is it as a father, as a provider? Is it as a grandmother? I thought I, thought I could provide for my for my grandkids. I thought I could do this. I thought I could, I thought I could take my, my grandchild. I thought they could come live with me, but I just don't have what it takes. Is it, is it as a barista at Starbucks? Is it, is it as a truck driver? Is it, how, where do you find yourself playing the comparison game? Where do you find yourself telling yourself lies? The only way, what Paul is saying is he's saying, we've got to tear down these strongholds, and the only way to do it is that we t- identify the lies and we replace it with the truth. I am not the perfect parent, because I only have a five-year-old. We'll wait to see how he turns out. But one of the things I've started to do is Riley's gotten a little older, and I think he's heard this stuff at school, is sometimes he'll do something, and he'll be like, nobody wants to be around me. Or, I just can't get it. And what I've started doing is I've started stopping him right there and saying, Riley, we do not repeat things that aren't true. Riley, we do not tell lies. We believe that God has put in us what he wants to get out of us. For Some of you, you're adults, but you need to tell yourself that same thing. No, I'm not going to believe the lies. You've got to take the lies, and you've got to substitute it with truth. God says you are loved just the way you are. And by the way, sometimes you've got to say that stuff out loud. I know it sounds weird. I know it sounds kooky, and I wouldn't do it at work with everybody around but sometimes you've got to take those lies. You've got to say, no, that's not true. God says, I am loved just the way I am. God says, I am not my past. God says, I am not them because he's created me uniquely. God says, I am cared for. I am worth dying for. I am provided for. I am protected. I am loved. I am purposed. I am not them. But that's a good thing. You've got to take these lies, these strongholds. You've got to replace it with what's true. What is your obstacle? Let's skip down to verse 12. Paul goes kind of into what he's done at Corinth and what these Judaizers have said. They begin to try to compare Paul's stature, what he looks like on the outside, to how he writes. They're saying he writes really boldly, but he's not that big of a guy. Basically, his bark is bigger than his bite. And so they're trying to kind of devalue him and discredit his authority, And Paul gets sarcastic in his response to him. And I want you to see if if you can hear the sarcasm in verse 12. Paul says, "Uh, Don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. Don't you love sarcastic Paul? Don't worry. We wouldn't dare. But they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as a standard of measurement. How ignorant. What is your standard? What is the standard you live life by? And here's why that's important, because the standard that you live life by, the thing that you think is success, will determine your goals and the course of your life. You will always base your decisions on what you think the standard is. If the standard's really low, most of us will choose something really low, right? If just getting by is good enough at my work, I'm just gonna get by. What is your standard, because it determines your goals, and how you live. The truth is, is that God created you to live up to the standard he placed on you, not to live up to their standard. The truth is, is that God has created you uniquely, and the only standard you have to worry about is what have I done today with what God has given me? How am I becoming the best version of me connected to him? That's the only standard that matters. And when we begin to compare ourselves to other people, and we think we have to somehow impress people, we have to somehow live up to something that somebody's placed around us that they're really not paying any attention to anyway, We get it all wrong. What is your your standard? Paul's saying they're comparing themselves to each other, but that's not my standard. Like, I've got something bigger I'm comparing myself to. God has put a call on my life. God has created me with some unique abilities, and he may have, Paul's saying, he may have created me small in stature, but that does not determine who I am. What is your standard? Is your standard standard? what they think about you, what they may think about you. Is your standard, it's always been done this way. I should live life this way. What is your standard? Paul knew his standard was from God. Paul knew that he was created uniquely, on purpose, for a purpose, at a perfect time. Do you know how unique you are? Do you know how much time and attention has, has been put into creating you just the way you are right now, on purpose. Luke tells us that God knows the very number of hairs on your head. Some of you, that number's getting smaller. <laughs> but I, I, I looked some things up, uh, also known as Googling, and this is, this, is what I, this is what I found. Everyone, aside from identical twins, has a unique DNA, DNA code. No two are the same, and even identical twins, the DNA code varies slightly. Although, Science Magazine, although people can be quite similar to one another, there are no two people in the world that have the exact same personalities. Wives, do not look at your husband and say, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) This is is pretty unique, too. No two two fingerprints are the same. A a person's fingerprints are formed when they are a tiny fetus developing in their mother's womb, usually by the 10th week. That is how unique it is. You are, and the only standard you and I have to live up to is the standard that God's put inside of us, to live up to what he's created us to be, to live up to who he's created us to be, to live up to to being in relationship with him and walking each day in freedom and in life. That is the only standard that matters. What often happens when we begin comparing ourselves with other people is we begin using the wrong standard to get validation. And this is kind of what it's like. I have a a bathroom scale here. This bathroom scale is made to measure what? Weight, right? What is the standard of measurement that I'm supposed to be measured by? It's it's weight, right? That's my standard. So if I get on here, it's gonna tell me, I just went on vacation. Um, It's gonna tell me, It's gonna tell me what I weigh. Let's say that I decide I don't wanna use that standard anymore. Instead, I'm gonna use volume ounces. I'm gonna use liquid volume. And so instead of using a scale, I decide I'm gonna use a measuring bowl. What's, What's this created to measure? Created to measure liquid, right? This is a two cup measuring bowl. How ridiculous do I look right now? It's okay to say very. But here's here's what happens when you and I begin to get our self-worth and when we choose comparison and what other people think is our standard. We are leaving the standard of measurement that God has placed on us, the standard that says you are valued, the standard that says you are uniquely created, the standard that says you have a purpose and a calling in life. We are leaving the standard of measurement that we were meant for for something ridiculous. And some of you, this morning, the problem that you face this morning one of the reasons you feel terrible about yourself is because you've been measuring yourself by the wrong standard. Some of you, you walked in this morning and you were ridiculously tired and it wasn't from a busy schedule, it wasn't because you didn't get enough sleep last night, it's because you've been measuring yourself by the wrong standard, and so you've been trying to keep up with them. You've been trying to keep up with what you thought was the right thing, you've been trying to keep up with what you thought you had to have. You've been trying to keep up with what you thought your your, your wife or your husband wanted you to be, meanwhile you've been measuring yourself by the wrong standard and you're worn out because instead of getting the validation that God wants to give you in walking in your purpose you're trying to measure yourself by a ridiculous standard that he never intended you to to measure up to what is what is your standard how are you measuring yourself in the age of In an age of social media, one of the biggest issues when it comes to how we feel about ourselves, is because when I look on here, I see everyone's highlights, but I see my behind the scenes. And so, I see that, Dylan Arms sent me a text message. No, he really did. Um, But I see, um, I see that they went on vacation, I don't see that they went in more debt for it. I see that they lost some weight. I can't measure the fact that for the last three weeks I've had two sick kids, a a sick husband, and have been visiting my mother in the nursing home. I haven't had time to go to the gym or eat healthy. So we begin to play this comparison game and it starts with this thing oftentimes in our hands. How many of you ever gone have you how many of you have ever laid down at night with your phone in your hand and literally dropped it on your face? <laughs> Anybody? Because that is how much these run our lives. Do you know that something like 70% of people sleep with their phone in their bed? There's something preparing for this. I read about this thing called the paradox effect and basically what it is is psych- psychologists say that We've gotten so used to communicating on our devices that we think we're 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 one person. We've become a certain person when we communicate on our devices, and we think we're really good at communicating with other people. And what they say, what they what they're finding, especially on dating apps, is that people have gotten so good at communicating on here. When they go on dates, they don't know what to do. And so the paradox effect says I'm really, really good at communicating. I know this person really well. I know who I am, but I don't really know who I am because I've spent all my time on this. I'm not trying to harp on social media and I'm not trying to harp on, on, on a cell phone, but I really believe that for many of us, the best thing we could do is discover that this thing has a power button. Because what it's doing is is, 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 it's making us compare ourselves to to these standards that aren't true. It's making us, some of those people, every time you read their status update, you get sicker and more bitter at them, don't you? And so it's putting this thing inside of you and it's becoming a stronghold like I just talked about. It's becoming a stronghold in, inside of us and it's killing our relationships, it's killing our time, it's killing our ability to communicate with each other, it's killing our, our, our ability to hear God speak to us, it's killing our ability to stop thinking the wrong thoughts, it's killing our ability to start hearing the validation that God has for us. And I'm not saying throw your phone away, jump off of Facebook. For some of you, that's probably what you need to do. But I'm just saying, what is, your, what is your standard? And sometimes I think this thing gives us the complete wrong idea. So Paul continues. He says, we will not boast about things done outside of our area of authority. We will boast only about what has happened within the boundaries of the work God has given us, which includes our working with you. What is your place? What is your place? What Paul is is, is telling this this church at Corinth is he's saying, even Paul, the Apostle Paul, the one who wrote most of the books of the New Testament, even the Apostle Paul, what he's saying is he's saying, I have a lane to stay in. As a matter of fact, some translations, instead instead of using the words, the work God has given us, use the word a sphere of work that God has given us. And what that would have done in, 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 in Paul's readers in Corinth is it would have brought about this concept of running a race because they held games, like, kind of like the Olympic games every year in Corinth. And so that, 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 that terminology would have brought about the idea of running a race. And what Paul is saying is he's saying, I stay in my lane. Have you ever, have you ever been to, 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 to Walmart, God help you, or to the grocery store, and you, you, you pull up, you've got your, your buggy, or for those of you from, that say it wrong, your cart. But you've got your cart, and, and you push it up to the line, and you're looking for the shortest line, which some of you, the mistake you make is you look for men of people, you gotta look for stuff in the buggies. But anyway, you pull up to, to, the, to, the, to the shortest line, and then like there's two more over there, and you've been standing there for like three and a half minutes, but then you notice that line over there is getting shorter, like that. Checker outer must have more speed than this checker outer. And so what do you do? Excuse me. And you go to another lane, don't you? Some of you do this in traffic. And then you get in your lane, you sit there, and it wasn't what you thought it would be because the next person had 182 items. And you see this line over here is moving a little faster that you were just in. So you're like, ah. Do you ever get anywhere any faster? No. You don't, you have to... You have, to, you have to have to know your place. As a matter of fact, usually you end up getting there slower. For some of us, the problem when it comes to comparing is we're not just comparing who they are, but we're compared to where they are. We're comparing ourselves to where they are. Have you ever done this? Man, they just got the job they wanted. Or I, I, I wish one day I could be there. I wish one day I could go on that vacation. I wish one day I could buy that house they just bought. I wish one day I could retire that early. I wish I had that in my retirement plan. I, I would say sayonara tomorrow. And so what we do is we not only begin to compare ourselves who we are, but we begin to compare ourselves where we are. Paul is saying, God has given me this sphere of influence. He's given me work to do. He's given me, given me a place to be and a calling. He's saying, I'll run my race at my Pace. I'll run my race at my pace. And and here's, here's some truth for you. Maybe I know we've talked about this before, but every person in this room this morning, whether you're a believer or not, I think God has a unique calling on your life. And it is not a calling because he wants something from you. It is a calling because he wants to do something with you. You have a unique calling on your life. He has equipped you, he has given you background stuff. He he allowed you to be raised a certain way. He allowed certain things to happen. He's given you a certain personality. He's given you certain gifts. He's put certain people around you. And the reason that he has done that is because he has a unique place for you. He has a unique calling on your life and he wants to do something great in you and through you. But here's the thing. If you are busy running their race, you'll never accomplish it you have to find somebody else to do it. And when we begin to compare ourselves and where we are to other people and use the wrong standard, we're running their race and not ours. And the biggest problem with that is ours goes unran. The person that you were supposed to affect doesn't get affected anymore because you wanted to be over there and you jumped ship and moved. You wanted to be in that line, so you moved. The people that God wanted you to encourage or, or or the way that God wanted to bless you is no longer there because you've because You've moved. Because you played the the comparison game. So Paul wraps up this chapter by talking about where his real worth comes from. Basically saying there's no comparison. My fourth question, who do you believe? When it comes to comparison, who do you believe? Verse 17, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. When I read this, in studying for this, the commentator put it this way. He said, if we could only boast in the Lord, we would never run out of things to boast about. It's something we can always do. No one is ever so high that they cannot glory in God. No one is ever so low that they cannot glory in God. You see, when your standard is set, And when you know who you are, no matter how good you get, no matter how low you get, you have a standard. And so life no longer becomes about what they're doing or how it's going for me, but it becomes about the thing that I will boast in is what God has done in me and through me. I will say that he is good. Who do you believe? Are you going to believe the things that you read? Are you going to believe that you're never so high or never so low that you cannot glory in who God created you to be? Some of you this morning, you don't realize how valuable you are, but God sent this preacher to tell you that he desperately loves you and that all the earning you've been trying to do all the ways you've been trying to compare yourselves to them so you can do a little better. It's all for naught. Some of you this morning, you've never accepted Christ as your savior. You don't have a relationship with him and say so your game is constantly a comparison game because you have to be doing better than they are. I want you to know this morning that God values you, but he loves you so much that he doesn't want to leave you where you are. You see, Jesus, God's son, came to earth, he didn't have to, but he was born, lived a sinless life, and never messed up, chose to die on a cross, be buried in a borrowed tomb, to be raised three days later. If that doesn't make you feel valuable, I got nothing. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment, if you're here this morning and you are tired of striving, oh man, what a good word, striving, there's 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 something on. For, for some of you this morning you've been striving for so long to measure up to compare you've been striving and what Jesus wants you to know this morning is he loves you just the way you are stop striving relax accept him and so if you're here this morning if you've never accepted Christ just in your heart you can say it out loud just in your mind whatever you want to do just say God I give up I don't compare So I I don't know what all it looks like, but right now I ask you to come into my life and forgive me. I do believe that you were perfect and that you died and you rose. I want value, I want purpose. So God, I place my life in your hands. Jesus, thank you that my life is no longer my own. I'm gonna live for you the best way I know how. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at what Paul says in verse 18. He says, when people commend themselves, it doesn't count for much. In other words, you can applaud yourself all you want. You can get applause all you want. You can live up to their standard all you want. But it's going away. That's why it doesn't satisfy long-term. Because he says, it doesn't count for much. Let Let me ask you this, and I know I gotta go. How much has your striving, trying to win the comparison game, how much has that paid off for you? Because now no longer are you just not you, but you gotta keep this up. You're running on a hamster's wheel. Paul says, if they commend themselves, it doesn't count for much. The important thing is for the Lord to commend them. In other words, the only truth that you need to care about is the fact that God loves you, the fact that He has a purpose for you, the fact that He went to death for you, the fact that He got up for you, the fact that He says you are protected. The fact that he says you are provided for. The fact he says he never leave you or forsake you. That is the only standard that matters. Because when you commend yourself and when you get the applause of yourself or you get the applause of others, it doesn't last any time. That's why you're always chasing it. But once you find the applause of God and you begin to hear it and you turn off the distractions and you begin to hear him say, well done perfect, that's just the way I created you. I know they wouldn't have done it like that. I know you didn't want to do it like that, but that's what I put in you. Well done. When you begin to hear that, that doesn't go away. That validation doesn't go away. So what would it have taken for me to beat the freeze? Besides perhaps some stretching. nothing. I'm not Him. I wasn't meant to be an Olympic sprinter. Quit striving. Live up. Measure yourself by the correct standard. Break those strongholds by declaring the truth over your life. And believe that you are well equipped exactly what God has for you. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for guaranteeing your love. Thank you that it never runs out. Thank you that we can never outrun your grace. Thank you that even though we've perhaps wasted our, a lot of our time trying to live up to their standards, God, thank you that we can start today. God, thank you for the purpose you've created in us. God, may we see that. God, I break the strongholds that are going through people's head of comparison, of lies, of of nasty untruths about who they are. God, we break those. God, help for them to see their value. Thank you that there's no comparison in your eyes. In Jesus' name, amen.